The OTB Podcast Network with Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites. One of the big things that we've been covering over the last 10 days or so, you'll have seen many of the pieces from our OTB Future series, the hashtag that we've been branding all this content, OTB Future. You can search that on uh, Twitter and we'll have our, our podcast feed for it as well. We've been having conversations about what needs to happen in this country to increase participation levels in sport at a young age and to just keep people in sport longer. It's about giving more people more opportunity to play and practice sport and to um, to do it in a safe environment. The template, though, has really been set already and all we would need to do in this country is look at other countries who are doing it well and go, yeah, we could, we could actually do something very similar. Sport New Zealand have undergone a transformation in their attitudes and structures around sport at grassroots level and we're delighted to say that Alex Chet, a sports development national consultant at Sport New Zealand, joins us now from there. Um, good morning to you, Alex. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Good morning, guys. So, listen, we we actually were completely inspired by the release that you guys put out that brought together all of the big sports and all of the uh, the other sports and said it's time for us to start putting the fun back in sport for kids in particular and that we need to get away from the win-at-all-cost mentality. Can you talk to us about what happened before that, how you got all the sports to come together and agree on something uh, which is not really that radical but actually very radical when you think about it yeah you're right like the evidence and the information around the need for change has been there for years i think it's more um the ability of of sports to work together and it's the implementation and and just how they do it that's really hard with you know sports structures that are dependent on volunteers and that are under resourced Um, But this probably emerged, you know, this has been a project for sort of bubbling away for four years or so for us over here in New Zealand. We released sort of a a talent plan back in 2016 that sort of created a bit of a national conversation and we were quite direct in coming out to say, you know, based on um, significant sort of research, talking to thought leaders in the country and the top sports, it sort of made three big statements at the time that sort of said, you know, in most cases, childhood success doesn't lead to adult success. Um, early specialization, both in a sport and, and at an early age, um, you know, is not in the best interests of young people. And um, this this focus on sort of winning rather than development at the young ages is having a huge impact. And, um, and there's a lot of unintended consequences that impact on participation and the quality of experience for all kids in sport in New Zealand. So, you know, over the process of a few years, there were different think tanks and sort of national sort of meetings. Um, and, and we sort of came to an approach where obviously it wasn't wasn't right by everyone, but we had to take a stand and we decided to do a little bit of significant sort of work with five of our leading participation sports in the youth age. So that's uh, rugby, netball, football, cricket and hockey out here, where we started to work with their some of their leaders that oversee pathways and competition structures where we brought them into sort of um, some learning environments, but it didn't work with them so much around the sport, work, work more with leadership, influencing change, how to work through their structures to start to tackle this beast that's been talked about for many years. I mean, it's a, it's it's really interesting to hear how this, the engineering of the process happened because that that is always the biggest block to a, a huge structural change like this where you've got to bring people with you, particularly because so many sports believe that uh, their sport is so difficult that unless you get all the skills very early on and that unless you fundamentally 
dedicate your life to becoming the best hockey player or rugby player, in our case, hurler or whatever sport it is, cricketer, that you're not going to have the skills that you need at 16, 17, 19, 20 to be elite. But actually, that's not true. Yeah, that's right. You know, the the evidence doesn't lie. You you can't be an elite hurling player, football player, whatever the sport is at 23 years of age if you stop playing the sport at 13. And the, the rate of um, decline in, in youth sport in New Zealand is accelerating and there's less and less kids playing sport um, because sport's not meeting the needs of young people and because they're burning out. And actually at the time when they actually have a bit of talent and they've got to make um, that commitment and sacrifice a bit more time to pursue you know, the traditional academy-like pathways, they're burnt out and broke down. So they'll never realise their future potential. So that that information is is pretty clear. And, and we're, you know, we, we, we've made these decisions from a, a point of, of evidence and, and confidence through working with our sports around how we start to tackle the change together. That's, I, like, this is, there's a huge conversation happening in underage football in Ireland at the moment in soccer because the, the, one of the pathways is to get kids into academies as early as possible. And there's, a, there's this sense that the clubs feel like they need to do that. There's all sorts of ancillary stuff around that about ownership and, and the value of this player who might go on to become the next Leo Messi. And so that's kind of bubbling away in the background. But fundamental question for us as people who love sport is let's get as many people playing as we possibly can. How hard was it to convince people about the evidence or was it fairly straightforward when you put it up on the slide and said, if you continue to do this, less people will play and therefore that's bad? Yeah, look, I'd say um, it, this is, it's going to be, this is culture change. This is attitudinal change. So while we're making progress and we've got some sig significant momentum, we're going to be continuing to battle those conversations and making sure that um, people in positions of leadership as you move down through regional district and club structures that often govern and make decisions around local regional sport um, actually understand it and agree with the need to make change. So, you know, where we started a couple of years back in the significant moment you sort of mentioned that we had was back in September sort of 2019 where we had five um, leaders, the CEOs from New Zealand Rugby, Netball, Cricket, and uh, the leader of the, you know, Sport New Zealand standing up and saying enough's enough. We've looked at the evidence. Um, participation rates are declining. We've got to bring the fun and enjoyment and skill development back to youth for all. Not everyone's getting a quality experience and, and they committed to actually making changes, reviewing rep structures, reducing workloads, offering diverse participation offer, um participation opportunities to meet the needs of young people today because they're, they're saying we want different things. We don't want the same meat and potatoes that you've been serving up, you know, for the last 20 years. And and that, and that from that, um, that's what sort of has started the momentum and has started a, a sort of a media conversation. And a lot of this has been played out um, in New Zealand media as well and people take sides. But when the sports have stood up in front of the public and they stood behind the evidence, they know what's right for young people. And when you put the young people at the center of this, there is no argument. Um, it's just how you actually work politically um, to lead the change and work together. And, 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 you know, their first step in that direction was leading a national campaign together. And if, you know, one sport was doing it, if it was just football or just rugby, it's a lot harder. But because we had five of the largest participation sports in New Zealand and youth coming out together saying enough's enough. It's helped them all move this collectively, but also individually. And, you know, when you've got rugby here in New Zealand, 
um, obviously, you know, very successful on the international stage in, in our, you know, a sport that's important to our culture. And they're coming out saying, you know, we, we rugby's a late maturation sport until 15, 16 years of age. We actually want rugby players playing other sports, getting different skill sets and actually don't start burning them out in these rep programs at U12. We can't even identify the talent at 12. Um, we know that Māori and Pacificas are early developers. We know that the Europeans are, uh, um, are late to mature. So let kids play, explore and learn, and then we'll start to bring them into our systems at the right time. Has it been complicated somewhat, Alex, by the fact that the All Blacks are this all-conquering force and when they don't succeed, there is always this sort of national inquisition about why that success wasn't achieved. That sort of elitism is is driven and, uh, say, not winning the World Cup in 2007 was seen as a, a national disaster in New Zealand. Th- that must complicate things a little bit on your front. Yeah, look, there's, there's, you know, there's always a, a, a balance between, um, you know, participation and performance. But for too long, uh, so I, I can't speak for rugby, you know, on their behalf. But they've, they're, they are completely on board and they understand their pressures of, of succeeding at, on the international level. But at the same time, they've got to have a participation base and a talent pool to sort of fuel the All Blacks. And, and, and their, their participation rates, especially in males, was sort of decreasing significantly. So, you know, they had to do something about that. And, and as well as offering different um, playing opportunities, um, different weight categories, different events to stimulate young people. Um, uh, obviously, there's been huge growth in the women's game. Um, they were also very clear that um, a lot of players were coming into their programs burnt out and broken down. So if they want to continue the success at the high level, they actually want athletes coming into their system um, that are good people, that are well-rounded and have a lot of those leadership qualities and other things that will help them push on. And from mining, you know, the the stories and the case studies of, of a lot of the famous All Blacks, they've, they've followed this journey. You know, Richie McCall and Dan Carr, developers, you know, the Geordie, Geordie Barretts and, and Kieran Reeds are playing, you know, multiple sports until their late teens before they started to put all their eggs in a football basket. So a lot of our top international athletes across sports have actually followed the pathways that we're trying to endorse. It's just that these traditional structures and um, um, keep probably uh, driving um, um, high performance behaviours that aren't in the best interest of young people. And it's, it's how we support them to change those. That's interesting because there was reports last year, obviously, about the decline in registered teenage rugby players in New Zealand. I think over a 10-year period, there was something like 2,000 of of a reduction uh, from 37,000 to 35,000. Has that been arrested now or do we actually need to dig a little bit deeper into those figures that these are actually kids playing more sports rather than just focusing on rugby? Uh, no, look, I think, you know, that there's there's pretty clear data in New Zealand that for a while now, just in the general sort of that 12 to 18 phase and especially peaking around uh, 14 to 15 is where the de- decline in youth participation um, in sports starts to kick in. And um, some of the, uh, I suppose, the participation levels uh, have been masked by the growth in the female side of the sport. And, and so a lot of sports have been facing sort of gradual decline over here in New Zealand and, and, and rugby is one of them, but they've, they've been more proactive, as proactive as many in starting to address that and, and, and look at their offerings and modify rules, um, modify events, modify offerings. So they've been really proactive and they also see a much bigger picture than just success for the All Blacks. Like the bigger picture here and why we get money as a, a government agency is, 
actually it's not for sport, it's for well-being. And and sport plays a significant role in the well-being of our country. And and for ninety percent of New Zealanders, it's it's about um, socially playing sport and competitively playing sport. It's only the you know much more less than ten percent that go on into the the talented and 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 high performance pathways. So you know we're really clear on that. While there is an importance to succeed on the international stage, and and we all want to enjoy that. Um, actually, the the health of our nation and the value of sport outside of what happens on the field in terms of relationships, connectiveness, and all those other wonderful things is 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 far more important to us as a nation. This has definitely kicked off a conversation here, Alex. Just the coverage that we've been doing has kind of we've talked to all the various sports organisations, and the biggest response that we've had has been from parents in particular. And everybody, not everybody, but there's been loads of stories of parents and uh, players who dropped out because of the pressure that was brought to bear by coaches at a local level. So, I mean, it, it, the point you made earlier on about when you start to drill down, it's the administrators at those local levels. It's ultimately the coach that you have at under 10, under 12, under 14, under 16 that dictates a lot of your experience of how good a sport is. Um, we certainly heard loads of stories of players who would be the 16th man on a 15-game sport who never got any game time because they weren't very good. Um, and that story replicates across both men's and women's sports, less so across women's because there's, there's like fewer players and so therefore there was more of an element of fun you want to get that participation into it. How do you teach parents and coaches that actually the single most important thing is the kids' fun, not you becoming the next whoever? Yeah, look... It, this is um, we face the same thing, and and this change isn't happening overnight. And we talk about sort of um, ensuring the decision makers are on board first. So you've got the national leadership. So you know the the NSOs, their boards, their CEs, understanding that this change is important, understanding the conversation and the importance of it. Also understanding that as they start to remove historically important representative fixtures and make some of these changes, they're going to get significant pushback from their membership, from parents and from coaches that are that believe that, you know, they have to be in these hot houses and these academy programs from, from young ages and there's these stream teams and all these things kicking in because that's what they've always done. So so that top-down leadership is really important to help the regional layer and the district sort of layer be able to implement the change. They need the support from the leaders. And, and, and there's an ongoing piece here of education at the coalface of, of parents and coaches. But, you know, we, in a sense, um, because sport's so volunteer dependent here and, 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 and the volunteers do a great job. But, you know, in some ways, if you've got a coach who has a bigger picture, um, then you, you'll get a better experience. And they understand that, you know, your experience is a journey and they're working around everything else on the outside, the, your leadership, your cooperation, being a good teammate, as well as enjoying the sport and progressing, rather than just winning on a Saturday, you could have a really good experience. But if you have a coach that is the opposite, and it's all about the medals and the trophies, it might not be such a good experience, especially if you're not in the starting 11 or nine or, or, or whatever the, the sport is. But if we can, and the, the successes we're having here though, is if, if you can change the systems and structures that those coaches operate in. So if you remove the pre pressure to um, to win a national tournament or to get to a representative um, competition at a certain age or to go up a division, then it removes a lot of the pressure on the coaches. So they're not having to win something to then move up to a different level on a ladder or get to a certain division. And you can change the, some of the measures of success to sort of, 
clubs having standards around the quality of coaches and what they're doing and having the appropriate development programs. We're not saying here that we, we don't want to develop kids and give them the best chance of, of, of being an all black or an all white or a football fern or whatever it might be. We just know that putting all these resources, um, you know, a, a club that has a, a thousand kids at the age of under 10 and suddenly saying that, you know, 40 of these kids are going to be the next superstars and putting 80% of the club's resources into 20% of the kids and giving the rest the crap experience isn't going to fly and it's just not going to work. So you've got to change some of those structures that are embedded in our sports system and that's what we're working with the sports to do. And, 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 and you know, I'm not saying it's easy and, and every sport moves at a different pace, but we're starting to make some real progress. And how are you tracking that progress? <laughs> uh, look, you know, the, the, as I said at the start, this is intergeneral, intergenerational sort of change. This is culture change. So the, the real progress will be seen in, um, you know, 10 years time where we look back at the markers we put down and look at the participation numbers in the sport when we made these changes and look at the, um, the characteristics of players that are moving into development programs and if they're better positioned and more equipped to handle some of the rigors of high performance. So those metrics will tell us it, um, you know, whether this has been a success in the long run. But um, in, the, in the meantime, you know, it's, it's pretty exciting just seeing the collective sort of momentum that we have the sport, seeing, seeing them sort of feed off each other and even through COVID and, and the shutdowns in sport, actually seeing a, a drive and a commitment and a willingness to work together. So sort of cooperating and coordinating season lengths to make sure that because the winter season was delayed for football and rugby, for example, that cricket started a bit later and actually sports working in a way on the ground that we haven't seen before. And we think a lot of that is due to sort of starting to see a bigger picture and there's sort of a higher noble cause around, you know, the well-being of our young people and making sure that sport's still a really important part of our society. Yeah, well, look, it sounds like it's transformational, generational change. Have you had any interest from abroad? I mean, like, are people ringing you up and saying, that's very interesting, What? how's it going? Yeah, look, there's a lot going on with some of our team of, um, you know, of just a couple of weeks ago did a did a piece over for in Canada for Canadian Sport for Life, and there was an iCoach kids seminar that um, a colleague of a member of our team sort of presented on, and um, you know, there's there's other countries that are very aligned philosoph philosophically. Um, hockey, sort of ice hockey in, um, in America, are one of the sports bucking the trend that are taking a very similar approach within their sport to change. And the sort of um, the US Olympic Committee are sort of taking their model and trying to roll it out across other sports in the States. So um, we're staying sort of connected with other sports, but at the same time, and other nations, you know, Ireland's different to New Zealand. You, you know your culture, you know your people, while the philosophy and the principles are the same, how you ex actually execute it is a different beast. And, and each country will go about that in their own, own way that works for their people and, and the right way. Yeah, well, hopefully the conversation has started here as well, but it is entirely inspired by you guys, Alex. It's great work you do, and thanks a million for joining us. Oh, thanks for your time. Have a good day, guys. That's Alex Chet there from uh, Sport New Zealand talking about the transformational idea of getting sports organisations to work together for the benefit of the kids. Um, it seems like it's really straightforward and hopefully it's the type of thing that we could be getting towards here sooner rather than later. You can see the great work that the individual organisations are doing, but if they could combine their forces, um, maybe we'd have less dropout, a healthier country, a happier country 
and it'll be win-win for everybody. So look, we'd love to hear from you. As I said, 087-9180-180 is the number. The hashtag is OTB Future, and we've got a full podcast series there where you can listen back to all of the stuff that we have done over the last while on this. A reminder, OTBAM is live in association with Gillette. Good morning. Start with Gillette, giving you the confidence to tackle the day ahead. The OTB Podcast Network. With Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites. 